Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to this very special edition of the Empire Podcast. Did you know the Star Trek turns 50 this year? Well, it does. It doesn't look its age. It doesn't look a day over 47. And to mark this momentous occasion, we at Empire decided to produce a special supplement dedicated to all things Trek. Movies, TV, the whole kit and caboodle. That's on sale now. Here's the big sell. That's on sale now, packaged with the new issue of Empire, which has Star Trek Beyond on the cover, helpfully enough. But we didn't want to stop there because we love Trek. Uh, so this podcast is boldly going where no Empire podcast has gone before. Over the next hour or so, I'm getting together with two or three, depending on whether one joins us, uh, of Empire's resident Trekkers to discuss the franchise and its incredible legacy. I know it's Trekkers and their area of expertise, because I want you guys to say what, you're, what, what excites you most about Trek whenever I introduce you, okay? R. James Dyer. Kablach. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> Uh, you, Klingons. Klingons would be what excite me. Okay, I thought you said Kerplunk. No, no, no. Not Kerplunk. Kerplunk, it's Klingon. For what? Hello. It sounds very hostile. Well, that's Klingons for you. Isn't uh, it a child's game? Kerplunk is, yes. Ah. yes. Klingon is I don't, not even, a I don't game. believe Kerplunk. It does involve sharp sticks being stuck through things, you so see? it sounds quite Klingon. No, it involves sharp Klingon. sticks being removed from things. Oh, so that's not very Klingon at all. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's James Dyer, who loves Klingons. You heard her as well. Helen O'Hara, how are Hello. you? Very well, thank you. Um, I guess I just like the space exploration. <laughs> yeah, just, just space. That's, yeah, I like the space, man. That's no, and I the like problem solving. I, oh, okay. uh, we were talking about this in the office the other day, um, but I'm, I'm very fond of stories where intelligent people be intelligent. Do intelligent Like on the well. Empire podcast. That's yes, right. Like, like that sentence, what I just spoke. <laughs> I like when intelligent people be intelligent. Yes. Right. No, but you know, films about smart people doing smart things. So things like... Dude, where's my car? Spotlight. Oh, yeah. And things like The Martian and things like the whole of Star Trek. Mm, yes. Star Trek. Okay, good. Space and smart people. Space and smart Space people. smarties. Yeah. Kerplunk. Excellent. Uh, Johnny Pyle is going to be here at some point soon. I'll ask him when he gets in. Uh, and then he, he may only be here for like 20 minutes, so he will beam him out and we'll beam him in and beam him out again. Uh, and then there's me, of course. I'm not a hardcore trekker. I, I love a lot of the films. But I say I'm probably a next-gen guy. Mm-hmm. I like the original series. I like next-gen. I'm very dodgy on Deep Space Nine. Oh. Really dodgy on Voyager. And I don't think I've seen a single episode of Enterprise. Can I say I reject the term trekker? I think we should embrace Trekkie. Trekkie I was deemed Trekkie. to be pejorative, so it was changed to Trekker to be slightly more PC. I am a Trekkie and proud. I am not a Trekker. I prefer Trekkie because it sounds more fun. Yeah. But, Helen, where do you stand on this? Uh, I, d- I don't have a strong feeling on it. Mm. I think I think if the, the traditional breakdown of the two phrases in the 90s, by those sort of definitions, I would be a Trekker rather than a Trekkie because I can't name chapter and verse and episode title in relation to everything. That said, I, I'm not going to argue... If somebody calls me a Trekkie, I'm like, mm. sure, fine, I'll take it. I've been to two conventions, you know, and, I and, can't argue. And we're valedictorian <laughs> for your university Babsock, let's not forget. And, that is uh, not a thing. While Babylon 5 may be a big pile of shit, uh, you were... Get out. I like Babylon 5. And, uh, I like Babylon 5. And I like DS9, which I've just started watching again now. It's on Netflix, hooray. And, uh, oh, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Great, great dramatic the shows. The fact that Trek is on Netflix is a great thing. Every single episode of every single show. Including animated series. Including Enterprise. Uh, including Enterprise, yes. Should I watch Enterprise? Uh, you should watch Enterprise uh, once you watch the other stuff. Enterprise isn't a bad series. It is a it is a series with a Rod Stewart song at the beginning, which is unfortunate. It's not actually that Rod Stewart, but he. Uh, interesting that song was written by someone whose name I forget, but first performed by Rod Stewart on the soundtrack to Patch Adams. 
That's a wow. Fact for it, you. It, so it starts bad and yeah. <laughs> it sta- it, they started using it on Patch Adams and then it got worse. <laughs> and then they rewrote it for Enterprise and then realizing that it was a dreadful, dreadful song, they uh, reworked it to make it more upbeat and a bit more rock and a little less country. And frankly, it wasn't much of an improvement. Yeah, that's fascinating to me uh, because I think one of the great things about Trek that I, I love uh, is the music. Uh, it's got roughly three. And you may you may think the Deep Space Nine theme tune is iconic as well, but for me, when I think of Trek, I think of three iconic themes, and that's pretty amazing. I mm. can't think of anything else. I mean, Star Trek, uh, Star Wars, uh, Star Wars obviously has lots of different refrains, motifs, yeah. Yeah. and themes, but main themes. You know, maybe Superman maybe has three. Batman maybe has three great themes: the Danny Elfman theme, the nineteen sixty six theme, and the uh, the Hans Zimmer, James Newton Howard theme. Maybe you could argue that. But Star Trek has the Alexander Courage theme. It has the Next Gen theme, which I believe is Jerry Goldsmith. Yep. It has James Horner's great oh, score for Star Trek glorious. 2. Glorious. Incredible. Mm. And Michael Cicchino's amazing, unbelievable uh, theme for the, the reboot. Which, which you have which been humming in the week. office. I, all week. I'm so, so Non-stop. sorry. Uh, I saw a film I'm, I'm, <laughs> I think I'm a, I cannot tell you that I've seen, but the, the, the score is so good and he's so good. And that, that, that it's amazing because what he did is he... He took. He, he went in a completely different direction, and but at the same time, there's little nods and little throughout his scores to to what went before. He's so good. He's so good. And I love also him. a pun machine. Yes. He is a pun Has machine. anyone seen the listings yes. for Star Trek Beyond soundtrack? It's glorious. Yeah. Or, or, any of yeah. his soundtracks, yeah. in fact. Yeah. Enterprising young man and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's 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 quite astonishing. Uh, we will have a, a structure to this, uh, so it's not just going to be randomly talk about Star Trek for the next hour. Although it will be. But what we wanted to do was split this. Basically into four segments, TV shows, movies, characters and moments and our favourites and maybe least favourites therein. So, thereof, rather, intelligent people being intelligent. So, Jimbo, Heleno, uh, let's start with TV shows. Because yeah. this isn't as cut and dried as I think I think it would be. <clears throat> Pardon me, for me, it's next gen. And then I, because I haven't seen the others. <laughs> next gen, which I love. Jimbo, you're not an original series fan, are you? Uh, I, 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 it has moments of genius. You could argue that some of the best, uh, some of the best Star Trek episodes, I think, are from the original series. So you know, City on the Edge of Forever, yes. Devil in the Dark, stuff like that. I began in the '80s, really, with the Next Gen. Don't get me wrong; I'd watched the original series as a kid, yep. but it didn't resonate with me. But I, I recall in my teenage years, I'd seen them off and on. But I remember I went to to uh, my local video store, which was pre-Blockbusters. It was called Ritz Video, and they had the two-part pilot for Star Trek: The Next Generation as a video you could rent, uh, Encounter at Farpoint. Uh, and I rented it, not knowing what it was, and was kind of like, this is magnificent. Which is wrong, because it's a dreadful pilot. But <laughs> really, really loved it. And I think I, that was my first exposure. And then later on, Sky did this thing where they obviously bought the rights to it. And on Sky One, there was an episode of Next Gen every single day, which started just as I got in from school. So I literally watched it every single wow. day. And Next Gen really resonated with, with me uh, in, a, in a big way. I mean, famously, it doesn't really get going until sort of three years in. But uh, it's it, no, it doesn't. It really doesn't. No, there, it's, there are it's, great individual episodes yeah. before that, but there is nothing. But there's it's all, there's always yeah. a hallmark. Do you know what I mean? So with Deep Space Nine, it's like Worf indicates a step up, and Riker's beard is the next gen. Yeah, yeah, sort of, yeah. That, that is the uh, you know. So he, yeah, between seasons, seasons one and two, two, isn't that right? He grows the he grows a beard between seasons one yeah, and two, and, and then, that's when and shit then gets they, real. And then they got they got rid of Polanski and brought back Crusher because they fired her. Hadn't they? It didn't. Yeah. 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 They essentially got rid of her and then realised that Pulaski was dreadful, and they uh, and they brought her back brought again. Back. Gates McFadden. But yes, I love love Next Gen. Though Deep Space Nine is without any debate 
the best Star Trek, and it's it's a it's long been a, a personality test of mine where I said Deep Space Nine or Voyager, which is obviously a trick question because Voyager, while I have affection for it, is objectively not very good. And you'd be surprised how many people will pick Voyager. I Deep really would be surprised because DS Nine is clearly the right answer. I'm a geek from a long line of geeks, and uh, and so I had grown up with with episodes of the of the original series. Um, but it wasn't. I hadn't watched them in it with any kind of regularity or consistency. And for a very long time, I knew that, that Klingons were a thing, right? I knew that that was a Star Trek baddie, and it was scary and, and wrong and everything. And I'd also seen a, an original series episode where there were sort of pancake things that like fell down from the ceiling and like grabbed onto <laughs> your face. I thought those were Klingons because they clung uh-huh. on. I see what you're saying. Mm. Yeah. And so it was only when I started watching The Next Generation properly, which it was, I think it was it was quite late in this country. It was like 1990 before it was on terrestrial TV, which we didn't have Sky like Fancy James over there. And it was it was a bit of a revelation to find out that they were the dudes with the with the foreheads. So oh, wait, wait, wait. We are beaming Johnny Pyle into the podcast. Hello, everyone. Just run up the stairs. He's I come into podcast quite a lot out of breath. I this do. is the second time. You've yeah. been on an away mission. Oh, yes. <laughs> With your beard, you are, in many ways, the Commander Riker of the Empire. I love you for that. Mm. <laughs> I love you for that. Well, he just wants you to say that he is the Picard. What? My gaffer? No he's way. Not, no, he's not <laughs> I think we can all agree Chris is the Neelix. Nice guys. Especially funny because Chris will not know Neelix. No, I don't know what that is. <laughs> what is that? Uh, he's from Voyager. He's okay. the chef. He's the chef? Yes. He's a okay. Talaxian. All right. He has I'm a hot girlfriend, though. Putting poison in your food. Yes, yeah, super hot girlfriend. We're talking about the TV shows, Johnny. So, what's your what's your what's your Trek specialty? What what do you love about Trek? What I love, or what is my speciality? Both. Oh wow. Well, um, Next Generation is me. Mm-hmm. That's when I got into it, and uh, we used to watch it on Sky. I assume at the same time as James, that I was in Fence in Lancashire, and you were, I don't know where you're from, <laughs> and um, we were watching at the same time. Little knowing that twenty years later <laughs> we'd be in a dingy pod booth. Yeah, it's not good. Talking we have about a holodeck this place up. This is this is if this is a holodeck. We really need to think bigger, yeah, bolder than the than the the grey, horrible, stain splattered walls of the Empire Pod booth. Yeah, next gen, next gen, Deep Space Nine, Deep Space Nine, Deep Space Nine, Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. Oh, I mean, a, I love Next Generation, but mm. it's Deep Space Nine. No original series. I I I was so into the Next Gen uh, when it came out when it first started uh, airing on BBC Two that it kind of got me retroactively as well into Star Trek, the, the original series, and I started reading some of the novels, and I even started writing some. I just this, literally just remembered this. I I wrote a fan fiction story. I would Ooh. love to read that. A, a, a slash fiction story. It wasn't slash fiction. There was no, you know, it wasn't. Uh, oh, maybe it was. <laughs> Oh God! No, no, there wasn't. There wasn't any of that stuff going on. I can't even remember what the plot was was about. But uh, it was it was on the Enterprise. It was a Kirk, Spock, and McCoy story. I remember that much. Um, I used to like get the Star Trek magazine and rip out all the the posters, the next gen posters, put them on my wall, and and then that weirdly really that phase kind of ended around. I loved I loved next gen up until uh, the best of both worlds, and then when that. Second parter didn't resolve quite in the explosive. Hang on, so you loved it up until the bit it started getting good. Yeah, no, I loved, it, I loved like it, it up. I, I, I kind of stopped watching it after that. That's literally where it gets good. Well, I stopped watching it after that. Wow. Wow. Although uh, I will grant you, the second part of that is nowhere near as good yeah. as the first. Yeah, yeah I've yeah. watched intermittent episodes. It's very, it was very hard to, to watch episodic TV on BBC Two back in that whenever that was. The thing about the next generation is it elevated Star Trek into something it hadn't been previously. So, uh, like the original series, it's it's adventure, it's daring do, it's swashbuckling. You know, it's it's boys' own stuff. Whereas I think the next generation had this 
and this was all Roddenberry because he had these very clear strictures as what it should and shouldn't be but it emphasised the best in humanity you know it had the you know there's no war there's no money it's all about the common good uh, the ship was this amazing place where they had families you can imagine living and it became for me just the ultimate escapism you know you just watch this like you know some people might go down to the pub uh, after a hard week you know have a few drinks and I would sit down and just mainline the next generation because for me this was kind of this weird space based utopia uh, where there were Romulans trying to kill you I mean yeah but Romulans eh <laughs> eh isn't it I agree it's it's um, we, we talked about this a little bit in the in the, the supplement with the magazine but um, Roddenberry's theories on the future and how mankind would evolve are are so kind of um, idealistic and and, and not- off the mark well, we can hope that that's wrong. Let's mm. not be mm. depressed by the current mm. state of affairs. Um, after all, if you think about it, in Star Star Trek timeline, there should have been World War Three already. So actually, we're ahead of the curve in terms of working towards um, this oh. kind of utopia. Mm. It's go, coming. Go us. <laughs> it's coming. We can hope. But yeah, w- what's interesting is that, you know, behind the scenes, it was an absolute nightmare mm. to put together, especially in those first couple of years before they kind of find their, their footing. And also what, what I learned uh, researching this uh, was that they were they, they had to kind of find a way to make it work, find a way to make episodic TV work and still have time for these kind of over, overarching themes and that, that Roddenberry wanted in there. And what they finally cracked onto was the fact that they needed to focus on a different member of the ensemble week to week and that, that by doing that they find a way to make the stories work and to make these grand concepts work as a piece of drama as well and almost every major good ensemble based TV series since has essentially done the same thing maybe except The Wire you know but that's what everybody does now you you, you know you, you ha- hang each story hook on a character and that's what makes it well work. most notably in Lost yeah, and Orange absolutely. And Orange's New Black does the same thing. Absolutely, yeah. What's interesting, I think, about Trek, certainly the original series and the next gen, I believe Deep Space Nine and Voyager started to move more in, in sort of arc-based mm. storylines. not Voyager. Yeah. Whereas the original series and the next next gen are very episodic. Mm. No, Except the next gen is one big arc, isn't it? Because it starts with Q and the trial and it ends with yeah, Q and the trial. Yeah, but it's, it's more bookended than art because yeah. that's No, kind of, he keeps on p- popping up. He, d- he does keep popping up. That's only because John Delancey had a seven-year plan. That was it. Of yes. course he did. Yeah. It was yeah. the new Babylon 5. That's uh, the thing. So they, they, were, you know, they were winging it whereas nowadays showrunners tend to have three, four, five, six-year plans and they, they yeah. tend to know where things are going but right from the off. Deep Space Nine didn't start as an art-based show. It became no, one. Yeah, the it Dominion War. I mean, it was it was genius. Deep Space Nine pushed uh, boundaries for, for episodic television. It was. I mean, mm. you wouldn't have had Battlestar Galactic without it obviously because you would never run do more but it let TV go darker it let TV go bolder I mean I always go on about how great I think Farscape is Farscape wouldn't exist you know without that kind of template and also what Deep Space Nine had is I think because uh, we, were, we were talking about this recently for a feature that will be in the next issue of the magazine which I'm not going to discuss yet but it had one of the great villains it had actually several of the great villains the one that I, I find most hissable the one I wanted to actually strangle <sighs> was Kai Wynn Yes. Louise Fletcher as Kai Wynn, honestly the most awful, infuriating, get under your skin bad guy, I think, of the entire Star Wars canon. You can keep Can. Can's just nasty. He just, you know, wants to kill people. She wanted to just smile at them and take over. Oh, she was awful. But this was this is why she's so good, because she's a villain, but she's actually she's a Bajoran. She's technically one of 
the good guys in many yes. ways. Whereas Gal Ducat, who is, again, genius, he's really Campus Christmas kind of villain. You know, boo, hiss, he wants to kill everyone. He's genocidal. He's also really funny. Yeah. Uh, you know, but you're right. It's a, she's insidious. She, oh, she's awful. And and also, uh, Frank Langella, obviously, bear in mind, was yes. still one of... Save uh, it for the characters, but... Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. We, we, we're moving into characters. You save We've it. gone off-piste. Save oh, it. Are we in a bit? What bit are we in? We're, we're in we're TV, TV shows. shows. Are we? Right. TV oh, yeah, shows, but not specialising in characters. Okay. Mm. Um, but anyway, but you're right. Um, Deep Space Nine, what was interesting was that they got around Roddenberry's strictures in that. Yeah. So Roddenberry said, in the Federation, we've evolved beyond sort of interpersonal con- conflict. We're going to just kind of get along. Mm. Everybody's too smart to let that derail them. And what DS9 did was by introducing non-Federation characters and having them live alongside these slightly evolved humans it gave them all those problems right back at them so we're talking civil war we're talking religion we're talking um, you know just politics genocide holocaust, genocide, holocaust you know post-trauma and everything they brought back vice which I thought was really important they brought quark he had gambling he had prostitution brought back money which obviously isn't a yep. thing in the federation in the form of gold press latinum interestingly latinum is a liquid that is inside the little gold bars really? and it can't be replicated which is why it's valuable there you go. Oh, that, is, fact for you. that is interesting. <laughs> You're not interested, are you? No, is it real? <laughs> Can you get latinum? No. 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 It's not uh, a thing. No. So they basically just took then. platinum and took the P off the start. <laughs> <laughs> the same as, they also, I believe, had an element called lutonium. Clever. They hate peas. Yeah, they, they do, do. not like There's peas. no war, but they hate pea. <laughs> they do. Uh, but bear in mind that Deep Space Nine was the first Star Trek also to go the CGI route. You had Odo, character again. You know, you had the wormhole, that sort of like blossoming flower effect every time a runabout went through it. It was an interesting concept because instead of being the wagon train to the stars format where you're a ship and you're going to a new planet every episode, you were basically just stuck there and the drama had to come to you. And I thought that was great. It was it was a nice format, but I think it got a little stale. And it's that's why it was so important when you bring in Worf, you brought in the Defiant. Oh, my God, the Defiant. And you brought in the Dominion and it became, you know, a sort of broader sort of... Uh, intergalactic space conflict thing. Yeah, I mean, it was, and it got really, really dark as well. Yeah, really dark. And I think that's why they then launched Voyager to get back to that traditional S- Star Trek boldly going. Yeah, and thing. started a show whose principal antagonist was shit Klingons with tissue paper in their hair. The Kazon have to be the worst race in the history of Star Trek. It's it's just appalling. Certainly the worst to appear more than once. I know, but they <laughs> and they dominated seasons. It's like for God's sake, get rid of these things. And then, uh, but then they moved on to the Herogen, who were better because they were predator ripoffs. Welcome to the Star Trek um, Deep Space Nine podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're with on James Voyager. Dyer. Voyager, this is Voyager uh, now. We're on yeah, Voyager. He's lost me so much. Okay, so let's let's move off TV shows. Sorry, uh, no we barely um, have to touch Enterprise. We yeah, there's no to one to, we haven't like, touched. And champion it for a little bit. Champion Enterprise. Yeah, Enterprise. It's it, not as bad as everyone says. It's there not as bad as everyone says. And it has it. Sam Beckett as the captain. He's so, not yeah. very good. He's really not very good. Without giving anything away, it does have elements that feed into something that's coming up. So it's 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 not the the sort of black sheep of the Star Trek family, is it? No, it's. Uh, it's just problematic. My main issue with it is that Star Trek lives and dies by the diversity of its characters and uh, the interplay between them, and everyone in Enterprise is insufferably bland. I mean, every single character is tedious. They are entirely interchangeable. Yeah, it wasn't good, and, you know, Rod Stewart aside, it just was never going to be good. And I think they they really found their feet when they started going to the Zindi War stuff towards the end, and that was lots of fun. But then they ruined it with that ending, which made it a footnote in actually a quite decent episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. The one in which Riker's wrangling over whether or not to uh, reveal some secret that his former commander 
had told him. And this entire show that was Enterprise was essentially a holodeck parable to help him work through his feelings. But it did still happen, right? Those events yes, still Yes, they're historical events, but the show is presented as a holodeck simulation uh, with him and Troy sort of wandering around. So I don't see why that matters. It, it, it just, that changes they, they wrote that as a love letter to Star Trek fans to try and say, yeah, yeah, this is just ending your love. And it was absolutely reviled because it just trivialised the whole thing. It was like she was telling us that this was just a simulation. It was just, you know, it was shit. It was, it was ill-conceived. Controversial. Controversial. Yeah. So, okay, so let's move on to movies. But then, can we definitively name the best Trek TV show? It's not Deep Space Nine. It's not even a conversation. Enterprise it is. Uh, all right, let's talk about the 13 movies in 13 minutes. Uh, where do we stand on, on the films? What's your, what's your favourite movie? Very, very quickly, your favourite Star, Star Trek movie. Uh, to be honest, I mean, I'm going to be really obvious, it's The Wrath of Khan, because the mm-hmm. ending is is fantastic. Is it all Wrath of Khan? Or, or is someone going to... No, I'm Khan. You're Khan? I'm Khan. You're Khan? I'm Khan. I thought Benedict Cumberbatch was Khan. No, he's John Harrison. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Khan is probably the best. It is not my favourite. What's your favourite? It's split between First Contact and The Undiscovered Country. Interesting. So you're Interesting. very much an even-numbered kind of guy. Oh, well, obviously. Yeah. The curse is alive and well. Until, until the modern era. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Undiscovered Country is, is glorious. Absolutely love that film, you know. You haven't heard it until you've heard it in the original clinic. <laughs> and of course, the quote comes from Shakespeare as well. Indeed. Well, obviously, that's... Um, uh, and, and Melville is, is First Contact and Kant, because they're both Moby Dick parallels. Moby Dick, so, yeah. You know. Dickens' reference, obviously, in Kant. There's, there's tons of, um, I believe... I looked this up recently. There's tons of uh, Shakespeare quotes in Undiscovered Country. It's not just that one. There's loads of them. They're still yeah. all the way through. Oh, yeah. Christopher all Plummer stands there. Camping, camply shouting it over the intercom at one point where he's blowing up the Enterprise. Mm. And in fact, uh, Shakespeare is quoted in Beyond as well. So, you know, a grand tradition mm. of Shakespeare and Well, Star Kirk Trek is quite a bookworm. Together. Yeah, he yeah, is he quite is. a bookworm. Mm. Mm. Old Kirk. Old, Old Kirk. Kirk. Yeah. Old Kirk. <laughs> not so much. New not Kirk. so much. This We're one. not entirely yeah. sure a new Kirk can read. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure he can. I'm sure he can. I apologise to Chris Pine. He reads books good. Intelligent man, <laughs> the intelligent. Uh, so we all can, but uh, do, do we agree with the, uh, the the maxim, even numbered good, odd numbered bad? or uh, Until the modern era where we seem to be going the other direction. We do seem to be, because yeah. the, the last few movies have been, uh, so there was Insurrection, that was, I was, I was odd numbered, that was nine, and that was rubbish. Yeah. Nemesis it was, was, was James. even no, numbered, no, that was rubbish. Hang no. on, you wait your turn. Uh, <laughs> even numbered, and that was rubbish. I actually quite like Nemesis. Star Trek the reboot, was very, good. very good. Yeah, excellent. I really like it. Into Darkness. Terrible. Terrible. Well, Interim. We'll, mean, we'll get into that in a second. That might be a slight overstatement, but only slightly. Just and beyond, <laughs> I can't say. Because we're embargoed. We're embargoed. But, um, oh, yeah, we are. Yeah, we mm. are. Has everyone here seen it? No. Helen hasn't. Ooh. Lucky for you, there's an embargo and we can't talk about I'm it. Gonna, I'm yeah, gonna, you're right. I'm going to blink. I'm going to blink twice for if it's good and once for if it's bad. So, uh, okay. listeners, see if you can, can guess this. What did I say? Twice for good. Did you get that? That was three. That was one. That was no, three. that was two. Shit, it was two. Oh, God, give it away. I've broken embargo by the medium of blinking. <laughs> this is the first time this has ever happened. Can I be sued now? Almost certainly. Yes. It was two. It was, it was two. It was three, it was there were two. three blinks. No, listen, look. Okay. 
There were two. But well, that was different more that of a time. squint. You did, you did two that time and three the first time. I didn't do three the first time. You did. did three the first time. This podcast has become worryingly derailed. Oh, okay. Yes, there's a man who tried to, you know, filibuster Deep Space Nine just <laughs> five minutes ago. And another thing. I'm, I'm going to speak in support of, uh, of Insurrection. Of course you uh, are. There is nothing wrong with Insurrection. It's, it's loads of fun. It's got some of the best gags in the entire series. It's a, a little bit ill-formed and F. Murray Abraham looks ridiculous. Okay, you just um, corrected your there is nothing wrong with. Okay. okay. <laughs> there are many things wrong with it. However, I love it. It's one of those things where it's a flawed but lovable film. But isn't um, it just not very cinematic? It's more yes. like a TV. It's like a, it's yeah. like a big double X. Exactly Which, if you that. love Next exactly Generation, is it's fine. a fine thing. Because yeah. I quite like Insurrection. Mm. I've got no problems with it. And in fact, I will happily sit down and watch any of the next-gen films. Just mm. Worf going through puberty. I mean, come on. What's not to love about that? <laughs> yeah, okay, that was all right. But... I don't know, it's not it's not great. I actually pr- I did prefer Nemesis. Um I thought that was Whoa. getting a little bit more into an interesting dilemma for Captain Kurt. Oh, Captain Kurt, Captain Kurt. See, I think Nemesis is the first even where it goes off the rails because I I wa- I really enjoyed it when I first saw it and then I watched it again I think week before last and I was watching it and I was sitting there thinking Yep, this is shit. This oh, is not good at all. Maybe what is going on? What enough. are you doing? It was not a pleasant experience for me. Yeah, I think it's the worst of the four. Um, I think it might be. Yeah, I have a soft spot no. for Generations, even though, again, it's flawed. But yeah, Nemesis Nemesis has mm. its issues. I don't like Tom gener- Hardy is not good in it. You're not good in it. Um, um, James isn't in it. He's a, <laughs> he is a bald man. I can yeah. understand the confusion. I am the clone of, of, of Sean Luke Picard. Or is Sean Luke Picard wish. the clone of you? Yeah, <gasps> more quiet. No. <laughs> no. no. I wish there'd been more Next Gen movies, I'll be, I'll be honest. So do I. Uh, only four. Mm. And two of them, well, James thinks one of them, but two of them towards the end weren't great. Generations wasn't brilliant. It was good. It had, it had its moments. Um, I wasn't overly happy with the way Kirk went out. I'm not sure if mm. anyone's happy with the way Kirk yeah. went out, to be honest, in that one. First Contact's great. Yes. And that's a, that's a shame. It had, they had four next-gen movies, and only one of them was absolutely, unequivocally good. Yeah. And that, that's that's a shame. Um, and to, to go out on Nemesis is such a <sighs> low point, I think. Yeah. Um, and the the whole death of Data thing, which is just such a shameless ripoff of the death of Spock. And, but but they, at least they had the balls to keep him dead. Yeah, but they, well, but only, only they replaced they, him with stupid Data. Yeah, like they, they replaced him before they'd even killed him. They were so cowardly about it. Yeah, I mean that irritates me beyond words. Plus, the only reason that that has remained in canon is because there hasn't been another next gen movie. Well, quite. Yeah, you know, if they if they'd wanted him, you know, he could have been in a coma, just like Doctor. Thingy me jiggers in Independence Day Resurgence. Yes. <laughs> yes. What's his name? Doctor Doctor Face. Doctor Longhair. Yeah. That's him. <laughs> what is his name? I can't remember. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doctor Data. Doctor Rumac. Do you think no. they'll uh, when they've That's Leslie Nielsen airplane when they've done all these new films the uh, JJ Abram uh, universe? I mean, presumably that then Picard becomes a captain anyway. And all that. So do oh, they, we don't know. Do they we're we're done. Reboot Picard. We are down the other leg of the trousers of time. Who I'm can getting say? tingles. Um, yep. But but yes, in theory they could. Are we near the genitals or near the ankle? Where are we? We're, I mean, we're coming on to the knee. I we're think. tickling yeah. the balls of we're time. Really not. So are presumably, we? then you can have interesting changes where perhaps Picard isn't the captain. He's in engineering so you're saying in this timeline Picard doesn't start a fight with a Norsk and get stabbed through the heart and become captain and actually spends his life languishing on the lower decks well, well potentially who, who's to say he even exists what if there is no Picard manoeuvre oh my <gasps> god how would the universe survive Earl Grey tea sales would, would plummet <laughs> they're not for sale they're replicated I know, oh my god <laughs> I, I, got, I know that I know that one 
he said writing it down just to make double check. But yeah, they could. They, I mean, they could, and well, I guess there, there might be some clues as to what way the universe is going when we see the new Star Trek TV show. But without Picard, year. there'd be yeah. no Cisco either. Because Cisco yeah. becomes the Cisco that we know and love because his wife is killed by oh. Picard as Locutus of Borg. Uh, we'll fight at 359. Yeah. So what we're saying is that Abrams' reboot of Star Trek could have the butterfly effect. So Ashton Kutcher could be Picard. Or there might be no Picard, no Cisco, no nothing. No Empire podcasts. This is this is I huge. Think the Empire podcast predates the events of Star Trek. Yeah, but this, so we're safe. Okay, we're good. Captain Wesley Crusher. That's what I'm going to say. Oh, God. That would be great if he didn't exist. If the single most punchable what? character in the history of Star Trek just didn't exist. Just, you know, a, See, a, a face I will no, never tire. You say that, but... glasses on. One of Wesley's episodes, where it's a proper Wesley episode, is the one with uh, Ashley Judd, the one about the yeah, video game, which video is game. worryingly like Pokemon Go. It's happening <laughs> right now. I swear now. to God. I was playing Pokemon. I was walking down the street capturing, you know, Squirtles and stuff on Shaftesbury Avenue yesterday. I was thinking, I have become Wesley Crusher in the episode of The Next Generation, where they're all sucked in by the little game, where they're trying to throw things yeah. at Pokemons. It's just, I, honestly, we're living it. And we're living, and we're living uh, the teleportation era as well, or transportation era, because Johnny has to leave. He's got to beam out again. You had um, an important away mission. I have on yeah. Riser. Don't wear a red shirt. All these away missions. <laughs> it's sort of, sort of brownie. Do you have a message, Johnny? A message to the listeners. Um, thanks for listening. Brilliant. What kind of message should I have? <laughs> Just you know, like live long and prosper. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't give up on your dreams. Uh, great. Yeah. What Chris said. Um, you enjoy the rest of the podcast, guys. I look forward to listening to it. Make Johnny's it so. way to. Uh, squirrel himself down the trousers of time and I pop out the fly that's not they don't have I mean they could be tracksuit bottoms <laughs> <laughs> oh. intelligent men being intelligent official gag Johnny on the podcast. just tried to push a pull door this is amazing alright there we go and then he left the door open this is this is fantastic this is going really really well alright so yeah the movies I mean let's go through them very very quickly yeah, yeah. alright Motion picture. Complete disaster. Barely watchable. It, Awful it makes uniforms. No sense. Makes no sense. It's yeah. What's with the What's with the bald lady? I mean, it was basically taken <laughs> I from. Like the bald lady. It's basically taken from bits and pieces of an idea for a sort of a, a spin-off series that they were going to produce in the late seventies, which was going to be called, I think, Star Trek Academy. Starfleet Academy, and uh, and they had a sort of a, a central couple in that, and they basically ported them into the movie, and they make no sense, and they shouldn't be mm. there, and nothing makes sense, and everything is terrible. Was there also a TV show that they had in development for a long time, Phase which two. would have, would have had, yeah, mm. which would have had Spock? Involved. They were going to do Star Trek Phase Two. Oh, it was going to have all of them. Was going to have Shatner in it as well. Okay. Uh, they were basically just picking up the show again, and then they decided to turn it into a film. Um, it has that glorious uh, Starship porn establishing shot yeah. of the Enterprise, which goes on for minutes of yeah. just circling the ship. It's amazing from the director of West Side Story, which has <laughs> sip and pizzazz, and then you have this. Uh, yeah, it's so weird. I mean, I think we talked about this in the podcast before. It's so weird the motion picture, its tone and its feel, because it was one of the movies that was greenlit. Um, you know. People may dispute this, but you can't argue against the importance of Star Wars in bringing Star Trek back. No, true. Because yep, yep. Star Trek, let's be honest, the the series in the sixties had been cancelled. It was done. It mm -hmm. was you know, Star Trek culturally was pretty much dead. Well, no, Star Trek not, culturally, I think, was growing. Mm. Was growing, but not to the extent... Nowadays, it would be like, you'd, you'd have petitions, you'd have fans, like, but lobbying. Did. You did. I mean, it was the birth of that kind yeah. of rabid fandom. Like, Trek conventions were mm. almost the first conventions, and it was, you know, there was an awful lot of momentum building. There were petitions when the show was cancelled. There was an outcry over mm. it. And, and it, rightly I, so, since yeah. by today's standards, it wouldn't have been cancelled. And actually, it was, it mm. was brought back after the second season, even, by fans. That's right. 
passion. So uh, the third season was was terrible, but you know, <laughs> it, it was fan passion really from an early stage. I think the the fact that it was on repeats all through the 70s was what yeah. made it was syndication that, that kind yeah. of did it wasn't it but, but, but right, so Star, right, Wars, yeah. Star, Star Wars, Wars is helped. huge because everyone yeah. yeah. suddenly goes hey what have you got that's in space I mean well we got this uh, we got this Star Trek thing oh Star 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 you said Star yep ships yes do they fire yeah Take they fire my money. great yes absolutely yeah, got blokes pointy ears great I'm on board and then we could get the director to West Side Story it'll be awesome and then he then he makes this Kubrickian yeah. epic where shots go on for days and the film's not I don't think it's ever finished and it's in, you know, it's in real time and and yet it made decent money it, uh, it is money. today I believe I'm right in saying the most profitable of the let's say the first bunch of them mm. uh, before the modern era um, and did very well indeed mm. so so then uh, yeah uh, paved the way did well enough then they, they, they kind of corrected the course with Ratha Khan yes, which was so did. which was so good I mean you know God, we could probably do a Ratha Khan podcast and that's my score rendition for you this is at the Alpha 5 Oh, so good. So good. Uh, oh, <laughs> every, everything about it. It, it. I think that maybe it's just because I love it so much. But mm. you know, maybe it's the, it's the the piece of Trek Next Genocide that I connect it with more than anything else. Uh, but there are so many iconic moments in that film alone. I think it's the most quotable Trek. I think it's the yeah. most gifable Trek. Uh, you know, and I, I love Abrams um, reboot one. The, the, probably the greatest Trek motion picture experience I've had was a few years ago when I went to the Royal Albert Hall and I saw Trek Star Trek Abrams Trek, uh, Trek performed with a live orchestra mm. uh, and Michael Cicchino was there and Abrams came on did an introduction and Simon Pegg came on did an introduction and it was just absolutely amazing again to go back to that idea but the score but but rather can oh my god what a movie well that the is. thing about Wrath of Khan I think which it gets really really right is how the how hefty the emotions are because mm. I think what you know it, it sort of reflects the passion I think of the fans in a way and the fact that they kept this thing going for years and it it made it feel like that that time had passed for the characters as well and that that time had been spent together by them and they'd been you know continuing to boldly go all through that ta- time so it sort of reflected people's lifetime with Star Trek uh on, on the screen and and because it had those characters had that weight of friendship and loyalty and and connection behind them when someone dies it hits you really hard in a way that you know this is this is genuinely my problem with with into darkness they hadn't earned that yet they yeah. had not earned it and so it doesn't it, it just seems weightless it seems like a gimmick it never seemed like a gimmick in Wrath of Khan even watching it now knowing that Spock mm. will come back it still doesn't feel like a gimmick it's, there has never been a time I've watched that film and not cried at yeah. the end and of course it has an extra resonance now that Nella Nimoy has actually oh, passed on yeah. but you're absolutely right I mean you know Into Darkness which is a fun film for a while and then just does uh, Wrath of Khan karaoke a bad Wrath of Khan karaoke uh, and you know, it's big idea is flipping it so it's Kirk dying not Spock which Ugh. just it's, it's, it's unearned and it's uh, lightweight and it's and bringing it back immediately is a, again a terrible terrible yeah. idea but, but, hey, but all, hey, the, the other thing that we don't talk about enough I think with Wrath of Khan is just how good it's sort of kind of naval battles are you know mm. it's, it's up there with Master and Commander and really in that sense this is something that I talked to um, uh, Justin Dill about a little bit it's that Star Trek traditionally isn't dynamic when it comes to space battles it is famously two capital ships completely stationary trading fire but I love you know the Reliant versus the Enterprise strafing runs and because they've got little gun emplacements on there sort of like when he 
managed to get the shield frequency. You're right, it's really tense. It yeah. does feel like a like a Master and Commander type thing. And it lit- literally to the point of going into a fog bank, yeah. you know, to escape the other ship. Amazing. Great stuff. The odds will be even. Unusually, it goes straight into a good, ev- uh, good. I'm so confused about even odd numbers. Intelligent men being intelligent. This is the stupidest <laughs> podcast. My IQ lowered the second I opened that door. It goes straight into Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, uh, Leonard Nimoy's mm-hmm. uh, directorial debut, That's right. and um, the first good odd-numbered movie for me. I really like um, Search for Spock. Yeah, no, it's it's. Listen, I've, I've watched I've watched it again recently, and. It is good only in the context of the films that surround it. If you watch it as two, mm. three, four, then it is actually really good. If you watch it on its own, it feels a little bit of a, an echo of Wrath of Khan, mm. uh, except, you know, with more Klingons. And, and more Klingons never a bad thing. You're right. Honest. It's not Star Trek 3. It's Star Trek 2.5 and yeah. 4A. Uh, it's <laughs> it's, some, it's some prologue great, and epilogue. Some and great stuff. I mean, it gives DeForest Kelly a lot to do when yeah. he's possessed by the spirit of Spock and... Uh, I like the relationship between um, Kirk and his son David you know, mm. that sort of doomed tragic relationship that's going on there I like Christopher Lloyd as the bad guy whose yes. name you will tell me James because I'm sure I can't actually remember his uh, name look I'm sorry that. you've been found wanting yeah it's been a long time since I've seen that film you've been found um, wanting but they do do the very bold thing there so that's they blow up the Enterprise yeah and at that point before it had been done 15,000 times <laughs> well twice more it was pretty shocking yeah yeah and then they replace it with the bounty, which has a cloaking device and is thus much better. <laughs> oh my goodness. I feel like that they're still, you know, tiptoeing around the letter of the law there because mm. really the, the Federation is not supposed to have cloaking devices there. You know, they could be in some trouble. Oh, well, until the Defiant when it's on loan from the Romulan Star exactly, Empire. Exactly, yeah. Obviously. Yeah, uh, can I say something controversial? Sure. Uh, we're going to race through the rest of the movies. <gasps> Three goes into four, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Voyage Home. Voyage Home. I'm going to say four is way overrated. Uh, This is what a lot of people say nowadays, because I think for a long time it was second only to Wrath of Khan in terms of people's affections. And now it's being, it's kind of, I think that, that, as with the next generation, I think it's a reputation has fallen rather than grown. And it's not entirely fair either way. Um, I I really enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. It's... um, it's not the most Star Trek of movies, what with them barely going anywhere. Yeah. But um, but the, the, fish out of water, the fish out of water stuff is it's great. It's a comedy, but it's not... But it went broad, and I think mm. Star Trek, unlike Star Wars, has always had an incredibly nerdy reputation, and uh, its fans are in no way cool in the way that Star Wars fans seem to escape that kind of... Do uh, you think? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's interesting, and I think... The Voyage Home was the first one that actually broke out. You know, normal humans could mm-hmm. watch this film without being ashamed. Get a life. You know, it was, you know, it, w- it was a different beast. It was an interesting one. It was, uh, it was better for you, better for us, better for them. That was a <laughs> Bill Shatner impression. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> I believe. No, it's interesting because I'm uh, Star Trek. And correct me if I'm wrong, wrong in this, but Star Trek for me seems over the years to have had an awful lot of people in control and an awful lot of people tugging at it from different directions and pulling it in different directions. And egos were in play an awful lot. So Nimoy got to direct three and then mm. four, and then Bill Shatner went, "Hang on, I'm Kirk. I should be directing something. So can I direct like the worst one of them all?" Yeah, sure, Bill. Absolutely. Uh, he had to. He, there was a clause in his contract uh, whereby uh, he and Nimoy had to be treated equally. So mm-hmm. when yeah. we got to direct, he had to be able to. But that's direct. what I mean. But it's, it wasn't just them. It was like Harv Bennett, and then when you get to the the other shows, it's Brandon Braga and Rick Berman and people like that. And you just get this feeling that oh, I just get this feeling anyway that you know it it needed more of a Kevin Feige type. 
person who wouldn't necessarily and I think that this this that's a product of its time. Mm. Nowadays yeah. you would have someone in charge and going, Okay, so everything has to fit in tonally. So, you know, three is a very dark drama in which planets blow up and people die and then four is a comedy that <laughs> once was meant to have Eddie Murphy in it yeah. and, and it's, it's about it's whales. A caper. It's a caper, yeah. yeah. It's 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 sort of, you know, the carry on trek in in, in many it really ways. Is. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Five's rubbish, but it has uh, the moment where Scotty bangs his head on the uh, on the on the the low hanging ceiling oh, yes. after I know, going. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Although the quintessential Scotty is Voyage Home, where he goes, uh, he picks up the mouse, holds it to his mouth, and goes, "Computer," <laughs> <laughs> and then he cracks his knuckles on a keyboard. How quaint! <laughs> Genius. And um, the thing I I love about Five, and it's actually pictured in the in our supplement, is uh. the. Uh, is when Kirk's climbing El Capitan in Yosemite yes. um, at the very beginning. <laughs> yeah. For, I really, really love that scene because Spock just kind of floats up and has a little boots. chat to him in his jet boots. Mm. Um, and then the whole rest of the film is, is terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but Yosemite looks magnificent. I'm so, going to tell know, you that's this, something. absolutely nothing. I incurred a late fine from Blockbuster uh, with Star Trek V because <laughs> I forgot to take it back. Because you were so traumatised. I was so traumatised having seen it. I couldn't face taking it back. My jet boots uh, didn't want weren't to touch working. It. Um, so five, let's give five the short shrift it yeah. deserves. Uh, six, we talked about you really love Undiscovered Country. Oh, Nicholas Meyer comes back. Glorious. Yeah. Absolutely glorious. Very, very good. Uh, cameo by Iman, of all people, as yeah. well. Um, more than a cameo, yeah. More than a cameo, yeah, but a supporting role. Uh, Christopher Plummer as the bad guy. M- yes, Kang, General Kang. Kang General Michael Kang. Dorn playing Worf's granddad. Yeah, that's yes. right, and it has the uh, penal asteroid of Rora. Pente. Pente. It's so good, but weirdly, oh, those early um, morphine effects. Yeah, but that and that—that's and the, the only thing about it that doesn't sit quite right. That the you've got a shape changer in it, and it's just like this doesn't really fit with the whole DS9 founder changeling. Yeah, no, not at all. That, that bothers me slightly, but other than that, yes, it's great. And you're right. Yeah, the blood floating, the early mm. CG effects—they have blood floating in the air after because they, they have that wonderful sequence where they beam aboard the Klingon ship wearing grav boots after disabling the gravity plating. So the Klingons are floating through the air and they're just walking around gunning them all down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's well assassination done. scene, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. When Chancellor Gorkon gets it, David Warner, isn't that right? Mm. Yeah. He's such a good actor. I love David Warner. I haven't seen Undiscovered Country in years. I need to revisit it. Rediscovered Country. If you will. <laughs> uh, generations. Uh, Kirk's death. I, I had no... Because this was... I won't say pre-internet. It was It was before the internet was a thing. Uh, I was at university and I went to see a film, probably The Birdcage or something. And uh, before it, there was a trailer uh, for Generations and I had no idea they were making this film. Right. Uh, and it came on and I swear to God I nearly tore my clothes off and ran naked around the cinema. I freaked <laughs> out in a level I've not freaked out before or since that they were making a next gen film. Please reassure us that you did not in fact. <laughs> it, was a, it was a pretty awesome moment for me. <laughs> yeah, I think I was very, very excited in advance and a little bit underwhelmed in the event. Yeah. It has it has Kirk's death which I, I just have problems with conceptually and in terms of execution as well it almost happens it doesn't happen off screen but it, it feels like it does mm. in a weird way um, and you have the, the meeting of, of Kirk and Picard it, it just needed a much better script and I would argue a, a much better and if you director as well pick the villains from the next generation why would you pick Klingon chicks Lursa and Bator it's just like really that's the best you could get anyway yeah why wasn't it yeah why, couldn't it have been I know they went Borg in the next one but couldn't it have been Q? Couldn't it have been... I don't know. Anyway. But we'll, Q we'll would get, have made more sense, actually. In we'll get on to stuff later, later on. But it also has the destruction of the Enterprise. That's it a does. good sequence. It does. Mm. And that's very well, well done. That's quite an emotional scene, especially when you see Riker and Picard at the end standing on the ruined bridge before they get beamed up. It's quite an emotional mm. moment. Mm. So not all bad. 
No. First contact. It's an inconsistency I just want to point out okay. with generations that bugs the hell out of me. Uh, because Malcolm McDowell says, time is the fire in which we burn. And that's his metaphor. And at the end, uh, Picard goes to Riker. Soren said, time was the predator that stalks us all our lives. No, he didn't. That's a completely different metaphor. Well, you may have misheard. It's like, <laughs> an, um, it's like Maybe an, the a, universal translator. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, it's like an X-Men Days of Future Past when James McAvoy says to Wolverine, he says, you know, I remember you. I'm going to say to you what you said to me. And then he says something completely different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so people's memories just they, they go over time Jason so you know it's fine it's one of those things so then we go on to First Contact which yep. is a lot of fun glorious yeah like we like that one so sorry we or can't Queen really. amazing uh, Alice, oh. Alice Grieg Alice Grieg mm. yeah yes. very very good uh, and of course uh, directed by Jonathan Frakes mm-hmm. that's right. amazing Amazing. Did a very good job. He also, good job. Star Trek had cracked space battles by that point, <clears throat> and because they, and they introduced the Defiant into that film, which was essentially the gunship that they brought into Deep Space Nine. So it had that uh, that fantastic fight against the the Borg cube at the beginning. I do kind of wish um, if I could bring one thing from another sci-fi franchise into Star Trek, it would be the ships' names in Ian M. Banks' culture novels, <sighs> um, because their gunships have names like "shoot first and ask questions later," <laughs> um, and I would quite like to see some of that. Anyway, carry on. That's an aside. I'd bring Judge Dredd in and give him a seam of bones. <laughs> It'll never work. Urban Warfare. Oh, very oh, good. God. Thank you. And then we move on to Interaction, which we talked about, and Nemesis, which has so many flaws. Yeah. Um, I think, again, that's it's one of those weird things where, I don't know, you had so many... Brian Singer wanted to direct a, a Trek movie for so long, and they, they gave Star Trek Nemesis to someone like Stuart Baird, who was uh, a great, great editor, mm. but not a brilliant director. And you get... You get a feeling there's someone like Martin Campbell on Green Lantern who's just doing it because, you know, it's a job and it, you know, doesn't really have a connection with the material. And sometimes that works out. Sometimes it doesn't. And I just felt that Stuart Baird in that one just did a bit of a, a you know, by the numbers jobby. I interviewed Stuart Baird for that film while he was sitting in the captain's chair on the bridge of the Enterprise at the Star Trek exhibition in Hyde Park. Uh, it was quite <laughs> cool. Wow. Yeah. It was pretty cool. Trek. Abrams Trek um, I think it has third act issues but it's, it's, a, a, it's a bold yeah. mm. it's a really confident it's a really clever smart way of, of redoing Star Trek, Star Trek. it's mm. not just oh here is a prequel it is something different and I think that's in- insanely clever of them it's mm. a mainstream movie complete mm. crossover even more so than The Voyage Home yeah. uh, and also it, it fixes the narrative problem they've got which is they're essentially retreading old uh, uh, old ground in the most Star Trek way imaginable by altering the timeline and I thought that was a stroke of genius and I think the fact that JJ wasn't and isn't a big Star Trek fan went massively in that film's favour much less so in Into Darkness Mm. yeah I agree absolutely Into Darkness is another one we could probably dedicate in fact we have dedicated a podcast to it a couple of years ago um, where we're all kind of going yeah that was was, yeah that's fine good thing to talk about (laughs) And then there's Beyond, which we can't talk about. Which we can't talk about. Thanks to my and We're all blinking furiously Link at this point. ratio. So there we go. Um, so very, very quickly, we don't have a lot of time left. I'm going to just ask you then for your favourite Star Trek characters. Oh, your favorite. I mean, this is a long... I mean, let's, let's, just, let's go okay. one each. No. No. Um, okay, there's obviously... And if you say Wesley Crusher, I'm ejecting you from this room. <laughs> Wait for it. Um, Spock and Data are the, are the core, I think, most loved characters in a lot of ways because... And uh, they're the 
I think growing up as a kid, if you're watching Star Trek, they're the ones that you actually come into it for because they're the ones who don't really understand what's going on and kind of in some ways have to have humanity explained to them while being extremely smart and capable and, and, and wonderful people. And looking cool. And looking cool, well. yeah. So I think I think they're really, really important and they are people's, generally speaking, they're people's way into to Star Trek. I'm not saying that they're the best characters in terms of narrative arc or complexity or whatever else, but I think they are they are genius pieces of character work. And Data's a narrative device, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, he's, he's in such a similar role to Spock in the original in yeah. many, many ways. But you can't really separate that original trio. I don't, I don't, you, you can't have one of those legs without the other two. I really don't think that they work on their own. You have to have Spock, Bones and McCoy. Yeah. Um, and I think that was, that was genius. Uhura is an enormously <clears throat> important figure in, in history, she never is. mind Star Trek history. And I feel like she deserves that kind of recognition. Mm-hmm. And hell, I liked Wesley Crusher, so screw you guys. I was 12. Not yeah, even. Fancy Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> Get your wheat on. <laughs> uh, well, she had a crusher on him. Oh, and, um, I really, yeah, I had a, I massively fancied Beverly Crusher. Well, yeah, I really, I really wanted her and Picard to get it out, like you know, like too. full, you know, oh, full, full on. Like mm. it was, all, it was all about Dax for me. <laughs> Jadzia Dax is oh, yes. spectacular. Oh man. yes, uh, Kira Norris though. Yes, She's also Kira. Although when she started shacking up with Odo, that was a, there was a massive ick factor there. <laughs> it's like really when she's shagging the shapeshifter, I don't even want to know what's going on in their quarters. I, I mean, really don't. He sleeps in a bucket. <laughs> exactly. Woman. Do you, do you know doing? what I mean? It's like come back to my house and share my pail. Please, I, no. That's just no. That's what you I mean, do. I'm isn't all it? For, that's, that's your technique. Yeah, I'm all for interspecies but, relationships, but that's that. But she just, had to do that because Kai Wynn saw to it that her boyfriend, you know, that's right. The picture, it? Burial. it all comes back to evil, evil Kai Wynn. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Picard is amazing. Love Picard. I Picard think is the, is the best. He is the best, isn't he? Isn't yeah. He? You he know, is kind when, of the best. when you get to it, though, he's definitely not my favorite. Seven of Nine was cool. Oh, yes, Seven of Nine. Although, I mean, Seven of Nine, (laughs) the most cynical character in Star Trek. Yes, we need to broaden our appeal. Let's get Jerry Ryan and her enormous pneumatic breasts and put her in a skin-tight cat suit. And it's just like, really? This is the best you could do? And it was a weird outfit because it they really clearly was. sculpted <laughs> the outfits to maximise, you know, mm. this whole area. It was hilarious. Resistance is futile, Helen. It really was. And and her first episodes were her going, like when she goes to Harry Kim, I wish to explore my sexuality. And she basically just launches herself at him. If only she'd had data there, because he's fully functional. It was, yeah, exactly. It was it was pure sort of fanboy wish fulfillment. The whole thing. That said, she was a very good, a very interesting character. Yes. Uh, um, her and Kate Mulgrew had a very tricksy relationship. Well, Janeway was um, again well, in real life, or in, yeah, yeah, in real life, very much so. Janeway was a f- fantastic, fantastic character herself, I think, and and didn't always. I think get enough to do with it. I think of all the captains, she was perhaps mm. the least well explored. Um, but she made so much of so little in so many of those episodes. The correct answer here, of course, is Picard. But yeah. I, I, I'm going to ask you something. I, I haven't given you my choices. I'm going to get to here in a second. Okay. I'm going to ask you something. You have given choices. You've, you've literally been saying nothing else but Star Trek characters. Okay. What is Star- my favourite character? Go on. What Your favourite character is Wibble Bibble. Yes, that's correct. There we go. From episode four of season two of Enterprise, uh, when uh, <laughs> Captain Archer uh, can't get the Coke out of the Fendi machine, and Wibble Bibble comes in, and it, it's a trouble with Wibble Bibble. Truly, your knowledge is astonishing, <laughs> <Yeah>. Chris. <laughs> I could Google this stuff, but it just comes to me naturally. I, you know, it's just it's like the IMDb in my head. It's, it's so weird. 
I'm going to ask you a question. Would Picard, would Next Gen have been so popular had uh, they forced him to wear that dreadful wig? No, no. Uh, no. Anyone who hasn't seen it, Google it immediately. It's horrendous. Did they shoot it or did, was it just no, a they, test? No, they brought yeah. him in for yeah. a test and they just took one look at it and went, take that off his head. Yeah, yeah it was terrible. Again, it's like a butterfly effect. You know, no Patrick Stewart as Picard and he might not have been Professor X and uh, I don't know. Yeah, the, the casting for that was interesting though. Yafet Koto was up for it. Mm, that's from right. Alien, which I did not know that. Mm. Yeah, he would have been Well, they wanted someone to out Kirk Kirk. Yeah. The idea was that he was going to be a much more sort of bold <clears> and, and, and hands-on to make Kirk look positively intellectual and then they kind of did a complete 180 and, yeah. and went with the uh, shift well if you remember the first episode it was all uh, Riker saying to Picard I'm never going to let you go on an away mission that's my job you have to stay here safe on the ship and like 87 away missions later yeah. <laughs> <laughs> alright who's your favourite my favourite character is Commander Worf oh god he's good he's my favourite character and, and weirdly my second is probably uh, Captain Sisko Okay, I would yeah, say he's Captain Sisko is my favourite captain. I mean, he's not better than Picard in many ways. I just have a real affection for him. He was very, you know, once he got the goatee and shaved his head. Uh, again, the facial hair being yeah. a, a, a <laughs> landmark in in a show getting better. He's he's genius. I love Sisko. I love his arc. You know, as a kind of messiah figure, the fact that he's prepared to do stuff that Picard would never oh, have yeah. done. What was it in the in the cold moonlight? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which is all about propaganda and planting evidence to to bring the uh, more people to onto bring their side an of the war. empire in, into, into a, a war. war. Yeah, it's quite prescient. I mean, they did have the benefit of touching on much meatier issues. Yeah. Although Picard's torture at the hands of the Cardassians is a standout. The Kardashians. Yeah. The Kardashians. Yeah. Yes, Kim Kardashian uh, <laughs> sticks him in a room and yeah, it's quite upsetting. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, Cisco is Cisco's fantastic, and and it's just I think him as a captain is summed up by Q brilliantly, where he just lamps Q in the face, and Q's like, "You hit me. Picard never hit me," and he's just like, "I'm not Picard," <laughs> uh, and never has that been more obvious. But, but no, for me, for me, Worf, Worf was great in the Next Generation, and then when they ported him over to Deep Space Nine, he oh, just yeah. came into his own. Any Klingon story was an absolute joy. On the next gen, the whole discommendation storyline with uh, you know Tony Todd as his brother Kern. Oh yeah, yeah. And and Tony Todd, who's appeared in God knows how many Star Trek roles, uh, he's been in all <laughs> of them. You know, and then when he went to Deep Space Nine, you know, wandering around with his bat left, just and just the the deadpan comedy. Mm. You know, the one where where Q turns them all into Robin Hood, uh, and and what comes on in times. <laughs> Sir, I protest. I am not a merry man. <laughs> uh, and the bit when uh, they're playing baseball on the holodeck, called the Hollow Suite. Sorry, in Deep Space Nine. And, uh, and they're going for the battery. It's like, where is he? Where is he? And Worf goes, find him and kill him. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy running across the bases. Uh, yeah, just genius. A genius character played by Michael Dawn. Very, very quickly, where do you stand on Q and Miles O'Brien? Uh, love Q. Uh, love Miles O'Brien. Love Although Miles O'Brien. I can only really see him now because I watch Hell on Wheels uh, oh, on AMC. And he's, uh, he's uh, Mr. Durant in Hell on Wheels, who was a, a railroad tycoon. So now I only see him as that. But yeah, he will, nah. I guess be Chief O'Brien he will always be Chief O'Brien and he's he's great as such and again he's another character who who came into his own on Deep Space Nine because he suddenly had much more to do than mm. he had done on and on a really interesting generation. backstory they gave him that he'd fought in the Cardassian Wars and he was a the massive Cardassian Wars yes <laughs> and he was a massive racist and hated the Cardassians or the Cardies as he called them uh, and they explored that quite well mm. yeah wow. he was a lot of fun was they all, uh, don't do anything to earn their money to take a load of selfies it's just uh, it's crazy uh, very quickly best moment best Star Trek moment across everything oh, best oh god. god what are you doing I'm so sorry we've got five minutes it's, some, some, it's, someone's going to ch- I mean, chuck us out the booth we, I know we could literally be here all day yeah talking, I mean the, look, uh, Death of Spock is is brilliantly brilliantly played 
the end of the first episode, obviously, of, of Best of Both Worlds. Mm. Oh, um, yeah. oh, yes. I am the cutest City on the Edge of Forever, where he has to make that choice. Is, yeah. I, like, I think I like the, the moral dilemmas and the self-sacrifice and, the, and just the enormous sacrifices. So clearly that says something disturbing about me. Um, I'm trying to think of cheerier ones. I, th- I think for me, um, there's the, uh, uh, that, you know, uh, the inner light, the one where Picard picks oh, up the yeah. box and he lives an entire life and grows old, has children, grandchildren and dies. And it's all just in a moment. Mm. And he comes in back yeah. and he just, he goes into one of the Jeffries tubes and he pulls out that little flute and he plays a little song. And I was like, that is just, it's genius television. Yeah. I love the uh, holodeck episodes. Uh, what's the one where they go, uh, this is Sherlock Holmes, see, oh, it's the big goodbye or something. Oh, there's yeah. a lot of those. And Moriarty. Then, and Moriarty escapes. Yeah, he Moriarty escapes, escapes the holodeck. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, Moriarty escapes the holodeck. The holodeck's a genius. And there's another Moriarty episode, isn't there? Oh, there's quite a few of them. Yeah. He becomes a recurring character. They trick him into yeah. thinking that he's outside, but he's actually not outside. He's in the holodeck. That's still. right. And in the same way that John Reese davis as Leonardo da Vinci uh, turns up in Voyager. Mm. But they used to do that when they just think, oh, Oh God, we're a bit bored of doing Star Trek. Can we not just do a period drama? Oh, we've got a holodeck. Uh, or when budgets were a bit tight and they wanted to do something. I mean, yeah, they had lots of fun. The Doctor, incidentally, in Voyager, another great character. Oh, great really character, like the yeah. Doctor. So best moment for you? Best moment. Oh, God. Um, I think I would have to be... It would have to be... Possibly, uh, honestly, probably the last episode of The Next Generation, not because it's the best moment. This is a cop-out just for what it means to me. Just when that show ended, the final moments of that, I just, it destroyed me. It felt like I had lost a family. I was bereaved at the end of it, the thought that The Next Generation had ended. And I wasn't sure I could go on without these characters. I was so upset. Why did they so, cancel? Was it cancelled? Did they just they decide? Ran its course. Yeah. They decided to pursue movies, you know. Yeah. And um, I think they were all getting to the point where they were quite expensive. You know, when yeah. you get a long I mean, run. Seven years. Like so. Yeah. But I mean, the moment, the crowd pleasing moments are the huge space battles. So, yesterday's Enterprise, phenomenal episode. Yesterday's Enterprise, um, God. Uh, you know, any of the Dominion War battles in Deep Space Nine, absolutely glorious. In terms of episodes uh, from next year, and obviously best of both worlds, I'm going to say Darmok when they go down to the planet with that alien race that only speaks in cultural metaphors. Yes, which is again genius television. You always talk about the episode of Deep Space Nine, which blends in with the trouble with Tribbles. Oh, trials and, and tribulations. Yeah, yeah and, where they cut the footage together. Yes, mm. and Worf. Someone's, they have the early Klingons which look nothing like the <laughs> yeah. we do not talk about it with outsiders <laughs> but they actually in Enterprise hilariously they address why they don't have rich foreheads yeah. and it's some ridiculous plot device that they use human DNA and it takes a few generations for it to work it out of the gene pool so for a few generations they have flat foreheads this is a thing but yeah just getting back to great episodes uh, Far Beyond the Stars which is the DS9 episode where they kind of end them end up in sort of like 50s New York uh, which is mental where all the characters are playing human characters it's a very odd one The Visitor uh, oh, yeah. where uh, Jake Sisko old Jake Sisko Tony Todd again mm-hmm. uh, uh, comes back to visit his dad also fantastic I mean there are just so many uh, and as you said in the pale moonlight the uh, the propaganda DS9 see all my favourites are DS9 it seems so much we could go on for hours just doing this but we won't and I will tell you why because we will be putting up a list of the greatest Star Trek episodes in order next week on the website so do keep an eye out for that awesome or pick up the mag for all of the yes. this and, and more yeah just to you know, do the hard sell Leah again the, the supplement is fantastic it has uh, exclusive interviews with loads of people from Star Trek including Bill Shatner Indeed. That, uh, that, I got that, that Jamie spoke to there's pieces him. in all the films pieces in all the TV shows a letter from Justin Lin we have a piece written about uh, Leonard Nimoy by his son Adam Nimoy uh, we have an amazingly really really hard Star Trek quiz which I was going to subject James to live on the podcast I wrote it uh, <laughs> but yeah to see how much he knew about it because apparently there's something wrong 
wrong in it? Is, is, There's nothing wrong in my quiz. Okay. I wrote that quiz. There was nothing wrong with that quiz. To be fair, and I will say this on the podcast, I wrote that quiz, but I did have some help uh, from Ed Gross and my friend Andy Fisher, uh, who's a massive Trekkie. So okay. it wasn't just me. There's a, uh, a celebration of all the red shirts who've died over the years as well. Uh, Do you know there's uh, a red shirt perfume? It was on sale one year at Comic-Con. I wouldn't wear that. It, it smells called, like rich mahogany. No, no. It was, it, it, uh, the, the, the blurb was, for the man who lives to, for today, because who knows if tomorrow will ever happen. <laughs> Blimey. Works. O'Reilly. Yeah. No, I, it's not just because we wrote it. It really is a phenomenal supplement. I, uh, I, I like it a lot. Mm. It yeah, is great. Whole, whole history of Star Trek, basically. Yeah. Or as much as we could fit in 58 pages. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the new issue of Empire, priced £4.99, all good and evil news agents, on sale now, etc., etc., etc. And that is it. That is it for this Star Trek special. We look disappointed. We could talk about this thing all day. I mean, we could. I still need to know where the Universal Translator goes and who, who got that working <laughs> and why they never need serviced. But let's move on. I presume you see all this stuff happening off camera. You know, I want to know where the toilets are. I mean, I know that this feels like something I have an obsession with. Um, but <laughs> Jonathan Frakes actually addresses that in a Star Trek documentary, though slightly facetiously. He points out where the toilet is. Well, uh, it's funny thing, because 23rd century, you'd think that they would have done away with the need to poo. Um, they, maybe have, they have. Maybe they have. Maybe when you get transported, it just, you know, yeah. takes maybe, care of that. What if, what if Picard's chair is also a toilet? No. Number one. No. <laughs> and you thought he was talking to Riker all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Make it so. <clears throat> On that bombshell. Yeah. <laughs> Why do we have to leave it there? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, just the way of things. Uh, that's it for this very special Star Trek edition of the Empire Podcast. Uh, join us every Friday for the regular Empire Podcast. If you don't already subscribe, please do. And if you would be so kind to go to iTunes and give us a lovely five-star review, you know, only if you feel we deserve it, of course. You know, we won't pay you to do so. Will we? Can we pay people to no, give we can't. Can. We, can. we, can. we can't. We can't. Yes, we've got all the latinum and lutonium that we have <laughs> lying around. We will give it to you. Um, so please do that as well. Look out uh, over the next few weeks for the Star Trek Beyond spoiler special as well. That's going to be fantastic. Uh, we haven't recorded our bit yet, but we have recorded interviews with Justin Lin and Simon Pegg, which are very, very good. So that's, uh, so that's great. Keep an eye out for that one as well. Until then, it is goodbye from Jimbo. You have been and always will be my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it is goodbye from Helen. Of all the podcasts I have encountered in my travels, this one has been the most human. <laughs> <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. Uh, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening. Bye. Everyone remember where we parked? <laughs>